Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN... The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. For folks in in politics, it's hard to imagine Senator John McCain without Mark Salter, who became his uh, chief of staff, his collaborator, and co-author on seven books, including his last book called The Restless Wave, um, written in the last months of his life. I sat down with Mark in Washington last week, Uh, to talk about the man uh, he served so faithfully for so long, his friend, Senator McCain, and the politics of our time, as uh, he also is one of the fiercest critics within the Republican Party of our sitting president, Donald Trump. Mark Salter, it's it's good to see you. I haven't seen you personally um, since uh, Senator McCain passed, so... We're going to talk a lot about him, but uh, uh, but I just wanted to, right at the outset say I'm sorry for your loss because oh, I know thanks. how how close you were and how much you meant to each other. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. So Davenport, Iowa, huh? That's yeah. You're that's, that's my uh, from the Quad Cities, right in my uh, neck of the woods. I am about two hours west of Chicago. If you're on so I-80. T- tell me about uh, tell me about that and growing up. Uh, you know, when when I was growing up, very prosperous community. You know, people when I tell people I'm from Iowa, I'm from the Iowa side of the Quad Cities. You know, the other, the west side of the mm-hmm. Mississippi. Um, people think you know I I grew up on a farm or in a small town or something, but it was a manufacturing town. There were a lot of farm implement foundries along the river. Uh, uh, John Deere's headquartered there. They had a big Caterpillar plant. Alcoa has a big plant there, and. Uh, and, um, you know, up until the 80s, uh, people, it was a very prosperous, thriving, happy, fun, you know, uh, community. I'm, I'm Catholic, and there were about 12 Catholic parishes, and uh, it was a great place to grow up. Your, uh, your uh, mom was a school teacher? Yeah, second grade, Catholic school. And, and your dad was a salesman? For a mining company, a limestone mining company. He, uh, he sold hydrated lime, was eventually vice president for hydrated lime sales. What what about politics? Politics was almost uh, accidental. I never had any um, particular ambition for it. I grew up in the um, 60s and 70s. I was in high school in the 60s and 70s, and uh, I kind of uh, hung out. You know, rock and roll was kind of all that interested me in some sports. You know, yeah. but uh, uh, didn't uh, didn't go to college when I graduated. Didn't have particularly good grades. I was truant a lot of the time, and uh, Got a job working on a railroad out of high school and uh, did that uh, for about four years till um, I think we were, we had a derailment in the dead of winter one night and uh, we had to go fix the track and it's about 20 below and the wind's howling off the river and everything. I thought there's got to be a better <laughs> better way to make a living than this. So, uh, How long did you do that? Uh, a little over four years. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I, uh, I went to the, I, I didn't have any, any grades. So I went to uh, the the one state university that seemed um, liberal about that um, was uh, Northern Iowa. It used to be the old teachers' college in yeah. Iowa. They took me, and I sort of uh, spent two years um, teaching my learning how to study and um, and taking it seriously. And uh, and then I I transferred to Georgetown after a couple of years. What about writing? You you are a brilliant writer. How, what, what, how did were you always a, a good writer? Well, you know that's my mom. You know she she t- she went back to school while she was raising us, um, got her degree, and then started teaching. But um, you know she had to you know she had to keep us amused or find you know te- show us how to amuse ourselves. Which in those days was you pretty much opened up the door to the house and said come back for supper. You know and uh, but she uh, took me down to the library, got me a library card when I was very young, taught me to read before I was in school. 
and uh, I always had a, I, you know, I always had a reading bug, you know, and I read as much fiction as I read nonfiction, and uh, and I think that's all there really is to being a good writer is the better and deeper and more wide, widely you read, the bet the better you write. You uh, are are famously. Um I think like the man you worked with and collaborated with all those years, you're, you're like, you're, you're a, a dark romantic. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I, I want to know how, how much of that, how is that, how did that develop in you? I know you were, uh, William Trevor. Yeah. Was a, yeah. an Irish writer yeah, who you love, yeah. favored, who, who also had that. Well, he fascination was, he, and he, he, he did i mean he would you know what Tre- trevor's but more than that i mean trevor would look at the world as he saw it and uh and not pull any punches and he'd tell these stories where where a malign fate uh, or misbehavior on the part of his characters would would lead them to some less than wonderful end and uh, uh but there would always be a little revelatory moment at the end of his stories where where he would settle you with a hey you know i mean there's still hope you know and uh and mccain definitely had that ability and i assume it came from you know his experiences in vietnam where where he saw as you know he would describe it i saw the the worst and best people can be in the same experience you know, you know I, I wrote something about him after he passed away I saw, you know, yeah, in the post yeah where I, I said he was like a romantic cynic and uh i mean he, was, he saw the world with all its corruption and all its cruelty but you know believed justice was still possible and uh that that kind of real realistic uh sensibility uh and that um and the guts really uh, it takes to ho- to ho- to have hope when you have that kind of sensibility a very potent combination um i think um, so what about in you how did you i don't really know where it comes you from. obviously were a really, kindred uh, spirit yeah, you it? know i you know watched a lot of concentration camp you know footage when i was a kid and you know i don't know where i got it but i just I thought the you know I mean I kind of grew up I mean I grew up a happy kid don't don't get me wrong I had loving parents and a loving extended family and a big family I had a great childhood nothing terrible ever happened to me I I wasn't abused by the parish priest or anything you know um, uh, but I've always I I don't know to be honest with you David I don't know where it comes but I, I know the world can be a pretty fucked up place if you'll pardon my my grammar it's a podcast, podcast okay. I know, and. Uh, uh, and I admire the people that know that and do something about it anyway. You, ca- one of the professors who influenced you is was Gene Kirkpatrick, yeah. uh, who went on to become a a, a very very mm-hmm. luminescent mm-hmm. figure yeah. in the '80s as a, as the UN ambassador for for uh, Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Tell me about about her and and the influence she had on you. Well, it was you know I never took a class with her. I, she she taught it to Georgetown, uh, but again, my, my life has been a series of you know fortunate accidents. Um, so I graduated from college. I had an internship at the State Department, um, and I was thought, well, I'll sit for the Foreign Service exam. And uh, I was working in a little research and anal- uh, intelligence, analytical intelligence office in in the State Department, and. Um, and all my friends who'd gone to the business school in Georgetown had moved to New York and went down to Wall Street and were making, you know, what at the time was the, you know, the unheard, unheard of salaries, like $50,000. This would have been in 81. I missed them, and all I wanted to do was go to New York and hang out with them. And uh, I had to get a job, and I knew Kirkpatrick had been appointed the ambassador, and she had brought half her friends from Georgetown there. So I went in and saw the personnel person who was married to a Georgetown professor and said, hey, I went to Georgetown. I was a government major, and uh, they gave me a job in the press office, you know, and I really just did it so I could hang out with my friends. Um, started off clipping newspapers and uh, taping uh, interviews and transcribing them and uh, that, that kind of stuff, and then eventually became sort of a press assistant press officer or something like that, and uh, the press counselor asked me to write a speech for her one day, and... Um, and that sort of started me on the road of writing. Tell me about her and what what because uh, people, I'm sure most people who are listening here or or many of them don't have a recollection. But as I said, she was she was a uh, yeah a, a really um, a singular figure. She was a, um, um, you know she was a very uh, uh, intelligent, very learned uh, 
fiercely anti-communist, um, but sort of came out of that democratic labor, you know, mm -hmm. and she had lots of friends still, you know, and, and, uh, and they were all, you know, a lot of them were, you know, after the various schisms and, you know, they, they, they were all anti-Soviets, you know, but, uh, um, um, she was, uh, no nonsense. Um, she was tough. She was hard. Um, she, you know, she wasn't mean, you know, or anything like that. She wasn't, uh, an abusive boss or anything, but, but she was just, you know, it was, here's your assignment do it correctly the first time and you know it's, did you have a particular partisan leaning when you began this yeah i think i was me and my family was uh my mother comes from a long line of democrats i mean she's got ward bosses in chicago that she called uncle and uh, -huh. uh um but she sort of embraced after this 1960 presidential election it's the only time my parents split their vote and um but my mother was an Irish Catholic, and, and nothing would have prevented her from voting for the first Irish Catholic president. And uh, my dad was a Nixon voter. But uh, she she sort of migrated to their side of the family. And I sort of – I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so I can remember when I worked um, – um, I had a – I think it was in 70, summer of 73 or something. I had an impeach Nixon sticker on my heart. head only to annoy somebody else that I you – know, some <laughs> old guy that was – but I was apolitical. I uh -huh. think the first election I voted in was the 76. So did the, 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 did the foreign policy of foreign policy, Reagan yeah. and mm -hmm. Gene Kirkpatrick, is Very that much. what drew you to – Very much, yeah. Very much. Uh -huh. And so she obviously didn't become president – she didn't run, but she gave a speech yeah. and uh, at the at the Con convention. At the convention, and at that convention, you had another one of those uh, serendipitous yeah. Yeah. events. I sure did. Yeah, talk about that. Well, uh, so I'd written her her speech for that convention, which she again, of course, rewrote. But uh, <laughs> but I, I I accompanied her to it, and uh, after she'd given her speech, they had set her up with a bunch of the surrogate shop it's asked her to do a bunch of interviews and we had done all but the last one and uh i couldn't find it we were in the superdome it's a obviously a big cavernous place and uh i just couldn't locate it so i had a walkie-talkie and i called down to the shop send somebody up here we can't find this she's getting cranky she's tired she wants to go home her husband's waiting for her she's not going to do it if you know get somebody up there so they rushed a volunteer up there and it happened to be tori clark who at the time was uh uh john mccain's press secretary he was in his first senate term and she had come over from the house with him we hit it off later would be the spokesperson for, for the defense the, the, department yeah, for the defense department and a bunch of other things um but um we hit it off and said, let's get a beer you know after this and we were walking down bourbon street and she introduced me to uh mccain's scheduler uh diane mcclellan and her then boyfriend and uh she said, well, why don't you come watch Bush's acceptance speech tomorrow with the Arizona delegation? He gave me a floor pass, and so I did. I went down there, and I met John McCain for the first time. And uh, you know, we were talking, and then she said, well, why don't you write a speech for us? He's getting an award from, I think, La Raza or some Hispanic group. And uh, so I did because I was freelancing to supplement my income at the time. And uh, I wrote a speech. The speech worked for him. And... Uh, um, you know, he offered me a job some months later uh, as the foreign affairs legislative assistant, and I took it. And I ended up marrying a scheduler and having two kids. So, but for but for getting lost in the Superdome, you know, yeah, uh, my my life would have been very different. What um, uh, I'm a I'm a Bears fan, so we've gotten lost in the Superdome a lot. Yeah, but, yes. <laughs> but uh, what what uh, what about McCain struck you? When you first met him, uh, uh, the sort of casual, uh, no airs, um, no pomposity, um, the restless energy of him. When you went to his office, I mean, it was just it was quite a. It's just a. I, I just I'd written for I'd been in other senators' offices before, you know, and it's it's not quite like an Oval Office meeting, but you're usually on a short clock, and it's you know very formal, and it's Senator this and. Uh, you walk into his and there's like 10 people milling around in there, including interns, you know, and uh, they all called him by his first name. And uh, um, he, he he made fun of all of them constantly. And 
he'd have you know a bunch of TVs going and have two different phone conversations going and be carrying on a conversation with you know the kid in the mail room all at the same time <laughs> and I'm just he's just a very casual guy you know a little profane in the way he spoke and uh, he just seemed very authentic when you walked in there a character that you knew it would be memorable and did you know right away that you were he was a, a kind of kindred spirit yeah I, 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 I you know, we hit it off right away I mean r- r- right away um, so I I, th- I probably wrote three two or three speeches for him and I think he offered me the job and uh, July of 89 because his foreign af- his then foreign affairs LA was leaving to go to go into the be an assistant secretary of state I think and uh, and he said hey and it, the conversation went like this crowded office you know it was hard to even hear yourself thinking it and uh, he said hey look uh, Lauren's leaving I'd like you to come here and uh, you know be my foreign affairs guy and uh, write some speeches for me go talk to Chris about the money <laughs> and I said well can you give me a little time to think about it you know and he goes yeah like okay how much time what do you need 10 minutes what <laughs> and I uh, just, just go talk to Chris about the money and uh, and Chris Chris Cook was his AA at the time his administrative assistant which is what what we used to call ourselves in the, in the day um, instead of chief of staff. But uh, you ultimately filled that role. I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, right away we, we, you know, we traveled together. I, he, you know, I'm the, I, I'd only, the only country I'd been to outside of the United States was Canada. And I was almost 35 when I began these insane road trips with McCain. You Which know? are legendary. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really, it's, it's amazing anyone ever survives them. You know, <laughs> like, it was, you know, 10 countries in a week or something, you know, just cra- crazy stuff. And, uh, and he, and, you know, did, you know, 18 hour days. And he did that right up until he got sick, you know, and honestly, I mean, he, at one point, <laughs> this is kind of, this is dark, dark humor, but when he did get sick, he had just done some crazy Asian trip. He'd gone to Australia, and he was on this sort of reassure our allies trip, you know. Yeah. And uh, after uh, Trump, and he sort of said, "Because I, I, you know, I knew I shouldn't gone back to Canberra. That was just too heavy a schedule. I, I think that's why I have the cancer." <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I said, "I don't, I don't think you get cancer from being tired." <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> we met, I think, first in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Uh, at Tim Russert's... Yeah, we're seated in the same pew, yeah. Uh, memorial service. Um, well, we, before we get to 2000, I talked to him about 2000, which was McCain's first yeah. uh, campaign for president, which was right. a really... <clears throat> must have appealed to him. It was an insurgent campaign. I think it's probably remained to the end his favorite political memory. Um, it certainly is mine. Um, I mean, I can't... Swear to it that it was his, but I, I, my, 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 I, I suspect as much. It was a primary. Uh, George W. Bush was the sort of uh, the it, far, far away in the front, front, front runner, runner yeah. yeah, and he had all the money and all, all, all the party lined up behind him, and uh, we we had to pick up, you know, uh, oddballs like Lindsey Graham, and <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking, but uh, um, I want to ask you about Lindsey, yeah, but, yeah. and um, um, you know, we we had we had good people, and he he he. He wanted to. Uh, I mean, it's it's. You may have had this experience in politics. You've worked on a lot more campaigns than I have. But when you go in as a pronounced underdog and you're realistic about life and you're realistic about yourself, you know, and you think I'm probably going to lose this, you know, it's quite liberating. It is, and uh, you know, the worst thing in politics is fear of losing. Believe me, it it, it and that was borne out in our experience, but. Uh, he he had no fear of losing. We assumed we would. We couldn't compete in Iowa because it's so labor and money intensive. And and Pat Robertson really is the guy that organized the the Republican caucuses right. and very heavily weighted towards evangelicals. And, and and Bush was going to have those all locked up. And mm-hmm. uh, um, so we, I think he came in second, actually, David. Yeah, yeah I, there was yeah, one yeah. one year yeah. that I yeah. Well, but anyway, go but ahead. Santorum did, and that because of that, and and, and uh, um, Huckabee. Huckabee. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, you know, we were going to concentrate on uh, you know two thirds of our time, maybe three quarters of our time on New Hampshire, which we thought was a sort of temperamental fit and uh, for for the candidate, and, and also a state where independents could right. come into the and you know 
into the Republican primary. Receptive to a larger-than-life personality who, who is, seems different from, from— Lots of veterans. Yeah, a lot of veterans. And about a third of the time on South Carolina. And um, so he did—I think we did 110 or 114 town halls, a, some, a record that stands t- t- until today. And uh, he—I uh, mean, he, he just—and he was quite un- shockingly candid— and uh, had the reporters in his we, we, the Straight Talk Express just, on yeah, his bus. B- bouncing around with us all the time. We couldn't do anything. I mean, we'd be going over ad scripts with reporters looking over our shoulders or looking at our polling number and yeah, poll, polling survey research or oh, we're talking about you know, what, you know, some shot we're going to take at, 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 at Governor Bush or whatever. You know, um, there were always reporters around. They knew everything, you know, and then uh, he would, you know, he would, he would, he enjoyed their company, you know, and uh, and would just blab away in the back of the bus, bouncing around for for you know. The, the organic nature of that campaign was really, you know, beguiling, and uh, I and uh, I, I was watching this uh, Beto O'Rourke yeah, campaign yeah. down in Texas. Yeah. It felt a little bit a little like bit, that yeah, to me. He had reporters yeah. in his van, yeah. and he's and he's sending out Instagram yeah, it was just video. To, and to be completely to to the extent, I mean, I'm sure there was some discretion involved on the part of the candidate, but he was as much himself as a candidate could possibly ever be under that kind of scrutiny. Yeah. And by the end, those those town halls had become rallies. Not not that. We weren't taking questions or anything, but they'd be almost like carnivals, festivals, you know, that all sorts of crazy eccentric characters would show up and he'd haul them up on the stage. You know, the, the guy with the boot on his head, Vermin Supreme, and some guy dressed in a shark costume, and he'd bring him up, what's your question? You know, <laughs> you know and, and there'd be, you know, and we had gone from, you know, I don't think we had embeds in those days were the actual reporters, you yeah. know, and, uh, and, but by the end we had editors, you know, you know, all over the place. Because they wanted to. Yeah, everybody they wanted, wanted to see the every, show. Yeah, everybody wanted to see the and show. And he won yeah. by 17 points in New Hampshire. Yeah, uh, I think 19, maybe it might have been. But uh, it, and we knew we were going to win. Uh, the last event of the night before the primary, we did a run around the state the morning of the primary. But the last event was in uh, Bedford Town Hall, and it was like an. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't that large, but to us, it was like an Obama crowd. We opened up the doors. We came out from that last town hall, and there was this sea of humanity. There aren't that many people in New Hampshire to start with, and there's just this massive crowd that covered all the street for as far as we could see, you know. And uh, Bill McInturff, who was uh, John's Your pollster, pollster yeah. all, 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 all for all his campaigns, uh, turned to me and said, prediction for tomorrow, you know, yeah. it's it's uh it was something and i always sort of regret that uh um we didn't just take a moment to enjoy it but it wasn't his way um uh so we 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 with few resources we managed this big new hampshire win and sort of re- reset the race and how did that go how does that go when you've gone from insurgent to now you've won this yeah. and the possibility of winning seems right. a lot more real. How does that change things? Um, well, yeah, it does. I'm sure it did. But we, he tried to stay the same in South Carolina. He tried re- really. We went down. So we, he will not live in an experience when it's over. He just doesn't do it, good or bad. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's how he got past Vietnam, I'm sure, or past the Keating thing. Or, right. He just won't stand it. it. So we, we left the night of the New Hampshire primary. We were on a plane and flew to a, a hangar and did a rally with a bunch of kids in somewhere in South Carolina. I can't remember the town, but, uh, um, uh, and we got right into it doing town halls. And, uh, but I think they had three weeks. I think there was a three week gap between New Hampshire, you know, and, um, and those three weeks were some of the three most brutal weeks in presidential political history. They got tough. And, you know, we had experienced people on the campaign, you know, Rick Davis and John Weaver and uh, Mike Murphy and, uh, um, but you know, uh, and we all joked, Oh, now, you know, it's Jurassic park or here comes the dinosaur now yeah. behind us, you know, we've awoken the sleeping giant. And, uh, um, uh, but I don't think we were quite ready for the extent of not just what we got from, from governor Bush's campaign, but what we got from everyone affiliated with their campaign, really the party, you know? That, yeah. That well, and I always joked that there was like a, uh, 
a train of lobbyists and others from Washington just yeah going south and all you know sorry but there are two things that happen there (laughs) i'm sorry no 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 no, no. two two things uh that happened there that i wanted to ask you about uh one was the confederate flag issue Mm -hmm. uh where and and mccain spoke about this after the fact yeah uh where he uh sort of uh grudgingly accepted yeah the the (laughs) consultants yeah yeah and um and lived to regret it yeah well uh, so hbo did this great documentary of him and it's it's it was great and and it it actually has that scene the coonharts yeah they're great 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 guys and great filmmakers but um so the, he was—he had done Face a Nation. I, I was there with him, and I think Weaver was there with him, and Rick might have been there with him. And um, um, you know, so Schieffer asked him some question about the Confederate flag, which was you know this flying over the state capitol in, in South Carolina, and uh, he said some something like, "Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, you know, it's for a lot of people, it's a symbol of oppression or something like that. I can't remember exactly how I worded it. And, you know, so our 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 South Carolina team, which was essentially Lindsay's and Mark Sanford's, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, political consultants, and uh, they're they've got like Hatfield McCoy type warring consultant camps in South Carolina that are worse than anything that ever happens between candidates. But uh, um, they freaked out. Oh, you've got to get them to walk that back. Oh, we're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. So okay, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, and you got to. Nope, I'm not going to do it. You know, you got to do it. You no, know, I'm not going to do it. So you, if you don't do it, you're going to lose. You know, we'll wear some very mishy, you know, very mealy mouth for you. And, you know, and it was, it was, it was uh, something like, you know, I understand for some people it's a symbol of oppression, but for others it's a symbol of heritage. You know, and I think we ought to all work and play well together. Some stupid anodyne thing like that. He read it, crumpled it up like this, and threw it. Down. I'm not going to say it. You got to say it. You know, you got to say it. So. Reluctantly, he stuffed the wadded up thing in his pocket, and um, we get we fly down to South Carolina, and he gets off the bus, and the scrum rushes to him, and they're all boom mics are there, and what about the Confederate flag? He said about this, and, yeah, I've already said my statement, which he hadn't, you know? <laughs> and I've already said I, my statement. I already crumpled up. Yeah, my I've already said. I've already said that. I've said, do you have a statement, Senator? Yes, it's right here, and he takes it out and it's really literally a wadded up ball <laughs> that he unfolds laboriously on camera and reads it like a hostage statement and crumples it back up and shoves it in his pocket just so is his way of letting everybody know i'm lying yeah, i'm lying yeah you know? uh, he, was a, he was a funny guy that way you know uh yeah it struck me that that was um that was a kind of a line of demarcation because the charm of the McCain campaign yeah. was its utter candor yep. and his willingness yeah. to say anything. Now, well, there's your want to win problem. Yeah. You know, well, we might win. Yeah, know. yeah. There's, but, a, there's a funny story I tell about the New Hampshire the night he won. So I went to give him the exits, which were huge. You know, he was the, right. the, the, the second round exit. And, um, and um, he said, well, what are they? I said, they're, they're huge. You're going to clobber them. And he goes, Oh, well, that has implications. I said, yeah, like, you might be president. That might be one of them, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. What about 2008? It was a, a much different experience. Well, we started off as the presumed front runner, um, and we uh, built a battleship. Um, and, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a better candidate when he's an underdog, um, I think. And, uh, you know, we're... we're he was he wasn't the world's greatest fundraiser, um, so we built a battleship. Um, you know, eventually, as everyone knows, the campaign sort of imploded, and you know, uh, it became kind of a, a war between factions. I have friends in all those camps, um, um, and it was unfortunate. Uh, uh, but I think that you know, all of them tried to do a good job for him, and uh, but we we just didn't have the receipts to cover the expenses, and that upset him very much, and. Uh, um, he'd been uncomfortable the whole time, and uh, part part of the discomfort market yeah. seems to me he was you know you you as much as anyone crafted this yeah. maverick uh, yeah. uh, image which I think he felt comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, but when you're the front runner, mm-hmm. I mean he had he had opposed uh, the the second Bush tax cut yeah. because he said it's irresponsible to pass a tax cut yeah. in the war. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he had uh, been very tough during his previous campaign on the some of the on Falwell and some yeah. of the evangelical yeah. leaders. Had to go to li- he went to Liberty College yeah. and to make amends and yeah. Stuff. I mean, how I, much I, I, was I, how yeah. much were the compromises that he had to make as a front runner difficult for him? I don't think I, I don't think like the Liberty College one. He wouldn't have viewed that as a compromise. Yeah, he criticized him and uh, Falwell came to see him and said, "Hey, that was really Robertson that was going after you in South <laughs> Carolina, <laughs> it wasn't?" And he said, "Would you just come down and talk to the students or give the commencement to the students?" He goes, "Yeah, sure." And we gave a speech about tolerance. You know, mm-hmm. everybody everybody remembers him going to. They, but no, nobody listened to the speech, but he gave a speech about tolerance. And, um, uh, there, but there were, yes, m- manifold compromises you make when, when you're the front run and you think you might actually be president um, that you, you probably don't make when you're, you're running an underdog campaign. The odds are stacked way against you. There's no, no doubt about it. And, 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 you know, he would have to bite his tongue or, 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 uh, I don't think he on major issues that he cast any votes that c- compromised his principles. And we we fought for you know immigration reform, and we were getting he was getting the hell kicked out of him by not not just Tom Tancredo and nuts like that that were running, but from the Romney campaign, they were pouring all their advertising on us was was uh, going after him for sponsoring immigration bills with Ted Kennedy, and 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 soon to be President Obama at one time, um, uh, you know. And and it stayed true to the torture debate, did all those things, and he would have, but it was just a style. You know, he he said when we when he was mulling it over and after the two thousand and six uh, elections, and you know we got you know the Republicans got the hell beat out of us. Um, he he's, he maybe turned to me and Rick and and Weaver and said, I I don't know if we can get lightning in a bottle twice, you know. And I think he had genuine reservations. He was uncertain ab- about doing it again. But he was also a fierce competitor. And once he's in it, he's you know he's going to fight as hard as he can to win. And and uh, oddly enough, the campaign imploded, and you know we lost two thirds of the staff, and uh, we were written off. And uh, Charlie Cook says he's, he's something like he's a corpse. They're just waiting for the doctors to pronounce him DOA. And and because, sensitive. Yeah, and because you know, I I had advised that. I mean, we were shrinking the campaign to meet, and and we knew we were going to be now run, running as an underdog. Um, Which weirdly is weirdly pleased him in yeah. a weird way. But there was you know all these you know all these friendships that were sundered over that experience was, was tough, mm-hmm. tough on everybody, tough on him, tough on them, tough on me, tough on you know Rick, tough on Weaver, tough on everybody. Um, because Weaver at left. Yeah, yep. Weaver left, and uh, um, and so I said something like, "God damn, you know, maybe you're right." You, you know, I was sitting down with him the day that happened, and I'd sort of encouraged him to take a slower decision, and he had said, "No, I, I want to get this done now, and uh, um, we're not running the kind of campaign I want to run." And uh, um, so uh, um, I said something like, "Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I should take a hiatus. Maybe I should get off the campaign." And, uh, and so he had this, he was, uh, well, let me tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. All right. I've got a, I'm supposed to give a speech in Concord, New Hampshire on Iraq, a very unpopular war that I'm defending. <laughs> I'm going to go up there and every reporter, you know, is going to be there seeing if I actually literally clutch my chest and drop dead of a heart attack. <laughs> You know, and then they're, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go there with no staff. I think his son, Jimmy, was the only person traveling with him. He was about to, or yeah, Jimmy, he was about to deploy to Iraq. And, uh, um, um, and then, uh, uh, you know, and then I'm going to fight this fight. I'm going to do everything I can to win. I'm going to get my ass kicked. I'm going to be humiliated for the, over the next few weeks. And at the end, I'm going to get my ass kicked, you know. But I'm going to give up and give it everything I got. Why, why, why are you such a wimp? Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, uh, so I went with him on the trip, with he, he and Jimmy, and, uh, um, you know, and he was, uh, he was going from one little tiny event to another, defending the surge almost exclusively, mm-hmm. you know, uh, fighting for what he believed was the right course for the country. And... Uh, and you know, little by little by little by little, you know, he started getting crowds back again until he was in a competitive position in the fall. And um, 
and won. You know, funny. By a lot less than he won the last time. But when we were talking with uh, Senator Obama about the potential of him running for president, his thing was, I think I could win the nomination. I don't know if I can beat John McCain because this is a change mm-hmm. election. Yeah. And I saw what he did in 2000. But he couldn't be the change candidate in 2008. No. He was, uh, it, it was impossible for any Republican nominee yeah. uh, uh, to do that. So let's talk about the convention yeah, in sure. 2008 sure. and the mm-hmm. selection of Sarah Palin. Mm-hmm. You and I have had some communications yeah, about yep, this. Yep. Um, I had uh, Steve Schmidt, who's a friend of both of mm-hmm, ours, mm-hmm. on here uh, recently, and he gave his account of what happened Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in it, he said he was uh, he was for Lieberman, and uh, then it was, and that didn't seem possible. Yep. And then it came down, down to Polenti and right. Romney, yeah. and yeah. and then the the Sarah Palin idea yeah. surfaced. But his account and your recollection, I think, are somewhat different about how the whole thing. A, came a little. Down. I mean, there's a, I'm sure a lot of uh, commonality to it's correct. I think we're all comfortable with and or wanted Joe Lieberman. Um, but it, it was made clear to us that there'd be a challenge, you know, we might win it, you know, but we'd be leaving Minneapolis, you know, with, uh, divided party. Yeah. With a divided party. And, you know, you, you can't do that. Um, uh, it was, the environment was terrible for us, you know, uh, would have been unprecedented to have this fusion ticket of a Republican. And we would have gotten some piece of the change message, you know, mm-hmm. not, maybe not, as great a chunk as you guys had it was you know the president president bush good man that he is uh uh wasn't popular at the time and the wrong track number was about as bad as i think i've ever seen it and um you know uh the war was very unpopular you had a young guy an african-american you know Gains an old old white guy at the who time oppo- who yeah. opposed the war who yeah. opposed the war mm-hmm. you know you 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 own change and uh so, you know, uh, we thought, well, that was one. And then when it, we persuaded him, uh, he was quite upset about it. Um, you know, he argued and it took some doing, you know, but he was to, 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 abandon con- the Lieberman to convince him that he couldn't have him. Um, and uh, and then he just, you know, he, he sort of his, he, it, it, he was upset about and, and distracted from the decision. And we were a week or something out, 10 days out from the convention. We didn't have a vice president. Um, you know, Romney was among the finalists. Plenty was among the finalists. And then I think Steve, who had had business in Alaska, McCain had met Palin, I think, that summer, earlier that summer, at an RGA dinner or something, but uh, didn't really know her. And I didn't know her. Rick didn't know her, I don't think. But uh, Steve, did, I don't know that he knew her, but he knew what she was. And, and we the choice wasn't made because she was a uh, uh, very conservative or a populist or something she she was she appealed to him and appealed to us as a reformer she had taken on the republican establishment mm-hmm. she had taken on the oil companies and uh you know um you know and uh as we discovered later i mean i think we had seen her give a speech and do a good job or something but we had no idea she she does she's quite talented at that and at the retail end of politics i've never seen anybody work a rope line like her it's it's takes forever she 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 has a word with everyone on it but it's really for you know those things i know they're all anecdotal but those things can you know uh they matter um uh so uh the the plan was um uh to bring her to flagstaff first for Steve and I to go. Now she had there had been a public document vet and i think it, we'd given ab Culver House and his lawyers mm-hmm. about a week Washington lawyer who headed yeah. up your vetting. I, I team. think he's going to. Yeah, I think he was just nominated to be uh, ambassador to Australia. Yes. But uh, um, good guy, and a uh, 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 capable guy. Did a did a you know as good a job vetting as he could in a week's time. But she comes to Flagstaff. We meet in some condo in Flagstaff on a golf course, and uh, and we go all night with her, Steve and I, and then on the phone with AB and his lawyers. And I don't think she kept anything from us. She may have downplayed a, a couple of things, but it wasn't. She didn't. Uh, I don't think she kept anything from us. We pretty much knew what we had. And we asked her. Steve and I walked through a lot of issues with her, and uh, and then tried to impress upon her that you know where w- she to be offered this. And she has to go into it with eyes open that nothing in her life has prepared her for it. Nothing, nothing for this kind of scrutiny. So you got to tell us 
everything everything that might be a problem even if you don't think it's a big deal you know uh and uh uh that we, we literally went through it till the morning and um and then um steve and i left to go to the mccain's ranch and she followed about an hour later and uh what was your impression when you were done with that um well she was quite forthright about uh, that she was a remarkably confident woman very personable um had a lot of spirit um could handle herself on on most domestic issues i thought but had a big black hole in foreign policy and uh, and she said it you're gonna have to tutor me if mm-hmm. if i were to be if you were to pick me because i don't know that much about it and she was quite honest about it um and we did we 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 put waves of guys on her steve began you know was kind of the lead guy who did a great job trying to get her up to speed on stuff but that you know you know, um, that was wor- that was worrying, and um, but it was known to all of us. It wasn't because um, you know. The, I think the thing that you may have objected to was that Steve said in my conversation with him that he hadn't had a chance to sit down. No, we had spent that night with her. Mm-hmm. You know, now obviously you would like to spend more than a night with her, but we were up against. It was decision time, and uh, did you see enough that th- gave you pause? Well, enough to our, you know, yes, yes. Because you, you sort of advised maybe this isn't the I right well, way. Well, how, how it went after, so McCain spent about 90 minutes with her, and then he, he, he sort of caucused with Steve and I and said, uh, okay, go. And so uh, I made a case for Plenty, and Steve made the case for her. And, uh, and, and his case was essentially, we can, you know, and, and you know, it was somewhat convincing to me, you know. We can teach her what she doesn't know. You know, um, um, you know uh, her. Her instincts will be are, are fine. She's she, she can handle herself. She's conversant enough on on all other issues, and uh, she'll you know be a lively uh, you know be a big you know be a move. You, 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 so we can do everything right, but we've just got this in the debates to get a piece of the change message. This pick in the debates. That's all you've got. If we don't get a piece of it, you're going to lose. No matter we can run a perfect campaign, you're going to lose, and. Uh, um, and so that was the, essentially the deal, you know, and, uh, he offered her the thing and, and I'll be perfectly, you know, I had my reservations. I got on a plane with her and Steve and we flew to a little town outside Dayton, uh, where we brought in Matt Scully, one of the great speech writers, uh, in the Republican party. And, uh, he wrote a great speech for her and which she was very involved in drafting. And when we rolled her out the next day, the day after your convention had ended, she hit every note perfectly and then went on to do a, a, a fantastic job at the convention. And uh, a lot of my worries were allayed, uh, you know, assuaged by, by that. And uh, um, I thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe she, she can do it. You know, uh, she was, you know, and, uh, you know, I thought she did a fine job in the debate. It was a stressful. I mean, you know what those are like. I, yeah. If anybody ever asked me what's your least favorite part of a campaign, I'd say the debates, yeah. you know, and debate prep actually being the 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 worst but uh because you know you you make one mistake in a in a debate and that could that's curtains yes and that's really for the vp candidate the the thing because that's it you know when i have to tell you and i may have said this to steve when when uh when i told obama that mccain had chosen sarah palin he was like you know she may be the greatest politician since reagan but Give it a month, yeah, and we'll know because yeah. this is really hard. This national yeah, thing, it is, it is. And uh, and a month later, she did that Katie Couric interview, and that was uh, yeah. She had a hard time answering questions, and that's on us. I mean, it's not on her, and that's that was John's view of her always was you know, hey, she didn't force her way on the ticket. She did everything I asked her to do, you know, uh, and 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 tried as hard as she could, and so he never had a. He never had a harsh word to say about her privately or publicly. Both you guys, though, Mark, and you to this day have had harsh words for the president, uh, uh, Trump. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, I said to Steve, and I believe this, I looked at some of the crowds at the Palin rallies and the crowd you guys confronted up in yeah. in in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, where McCain admirably uh, yeah. said, stood up in a very McCain-like moment uh, and re- re- rebuked a woman yeah. who, who questioned Obama's right. uh, 
citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, do you not see a line between Palinism and Trumpism? I'm, no, I mean I don't. Nothing. I mean that was going on before we had her. So I mean not not understood. Got, I mean got, she got, tapped into something. Yeah, I mean, but it was out there. It was always out there. So we did, did an event. I know it. She had. I, th- I think it was post convention in Albuquerque where it was a McCain event, not one with her, and it was. For the first time, we were standing in the back. We kind of heard some of the stuff because you don't really hear it when you're up on the stage. Right. And uh, we heard some of the stuff, and we knew man, that was a live crowd, you know. Um, but all along, you know, like we had this guy that was introducing him. I mean, McCain wasn't even there yet, and he was emphasizing uh, President Obama's middle name over and over again, you know. And McCain had rebuked that. So, but we had been encountering it. It was. It's always out there, unfortunately, in American politics and. And McCain was always prepared to address it, you know. The, so the the talk radio dude, and I think it was Cincinnati or wherever it was hitting on Hussein over again. Mm-hmm. McCain, we told McCain what happened. He goes right on the stage and rebukes the guy, and uh, um, so it was out there. And she, she she's not she didn't she didn't have the experience, I don't think, or the uh, um, the chops. I, I we put an inexperienced candidate. Our mistake. We did. We did it with good intentions. We didn't do it with malevolent intentions. We weren't trying to incite anything, or we were just, you know, we, we thought, oh, here's a woman with a lot of moxie who's, you know, mm-hmm. governor of a, you know, a rural state, a big one, you know, but uh, and and took on, you know, a lot of the rough customers to, you know, to to do what she thinks is right. That's that was our theory of the case with her, and the way you know we viewed her in the beginning, and. And the fact that she didn't know how to handle a crowd that got, yeah, it's not really on her. Again, it's on us, you know. Um, uh, so, um, yes, I mean, she may, be, may have tapped into something that Trump tapped into or something, but it was there wait, waiting, you know. And, and you can tap into things inadvertently, you know, which I think that was. Um, that was, that was I actually it. think she is an authentic tribune of the voter who Trump has activated? Yes, she is. Um, and um, but yeah, I you know, I think. Um, let me put it this way: um, If Sarah Palin had never left Wasilla, all this Trump stuff would have happened anyway. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, ask you about Trump yeah. and 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 McCain. Uh, what was his reaction when Trump? Uh, said what he said during the campaign about I don't consider him a hero. Here, I think heroes don't get captured. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um, very typical for him. I I, I, I was worked up about. I it. must. I I, I have to imagine. Yeah, and uh, I call him up and that fucker. You know, yeah. that piece of shit. And uh, he goes, just calm down. Just calm down. Because <laughs> he he's an idiot. He's just an idiot. He doesn't know anything. He's an idiot. You know, why should why should that guy bother me? I said, well, you can't let him get away with saying. He goes, you know, all weekend long, people are going to talk about what a war hero I am. So, you know, so what? You know, and it didn't really didn't get to him. He did, you know, make a comment publicly, like, you know, um, I know a lot of guys a lot braver than me that suffered a lot in prison, and you know that that Trump ought to know better than to say something like that. But uh, it didn't bother him personally. It didn't you know? It didn't hurt his feelings or anything like that. What What was? It? But this guy who he called an idiot then became yeah. president. Yep. And how did he process that? Well, you must have had a lot of long conversations. Yeah, especially yeah. in the last year. Yeah, because I had. Um, you wrote this. You yeah, wrote. You've yeah. written seven books with yeah. John McCain. Yeah. All of them. I say this behind your back. Brilliantly written. Oh, thanks for. Some. And uh, and you wrote a final book. Yeah, and that had a, a fair bit of Trump in it. Um, you know. Um, I think Trumpism. He wanted to avoid, if he could, personal uh, animosity with Trump, although he, that couldn't be avoided at times. But he wanted to take on Trumpism, um, no nothingism is how he viewed it. Ignorant, um, dishonest, uh, anti-historical. Um, you know, uh, 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 both a lack of. Uh, Hum, lack of decency and a lack of practical sense, you know, in Trumpism, you know, just and just sort of a, a, an illusion, a world that's an illusion. Um, 
So he wanted to take that on, and he and he, and he did. Uh, and at times, you know, Trump would say things that would you know, offend him so deeply he couldn't he couldn't avoid making it sort of personal in in his criticism. Um, Trump Trump is obviously a, a chronically offensive man, you know. But I think you know, for me, and I assume for him too, it's the um, utter lack of decency and constant total complete dishonesty about everything small and large every day that and 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 what that does to this country and to people that don't you know there's you know there are some people that are just cynical about it we'll just we'll get tax cuts or we'll get whatever we'll put up with this idiot and you know then they'll be gone and we can go back to normal and uh, but then there are a lot of americans who you know i was talking to a friend who's Grandmother's a kind-hearted, very elderly in her 80s. You know, sits at home watching Fox all day. And well, the president's on Fox saying this stuff. Of course, it's true. It's got to be true. The, it's, he's the president of the United States, and he's saying that we're being invaded by, a, you know, an, 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 an ar- army of gang members, terrorists, and lepers, you know. Uh, you know, it's just a, a disparate group, desperate group of women and children fleeing violence and poverty, you know. Um, but they don't know. They don't know that, you know. And there are millions and millions of people that are convinced he's not breaking norms. He's trying to save them. And uh, I, I, I think John found that offensive, as offensive as I find it, as wrong and as worrying and as. Uh, Do you think it helped uh, or hurt him in the midterm elections? You know, the invocation of this caravan. Oh, Trump and this, Trump. I think it, it hurt him. I think uh, Trump. The party will eventually feel it. I mean, I sort of made this glib vote for Democrats statement, you know, um, because the important thing is the important thing is to rebuke this guy and to you know resist him. And uh, um, I think the party will wake up eventually. He's he's death. He's poison. He's he's a terminal cancer. And this Trumpism, it's it's the way to extinction. Eventually, it's just demographics and time are working against us. You know, there's this terrible. And I don't know how Democrats make inroads in it, but you know, um, but um, this sort of it was rural versus urban, and we fought over the suburbs. But what's going to happen? It's going to be suburban and urban versus rural. And well, that's what happened certainly in this election. That's what happened in this election. So you know, everybody gets two senators. You can have ten people living in the state. So you you, can, you might be competitive, you know, um, in a few of those. Uh, but um, you're you're you're, you're going to lose everything else, you know. Everybody's moving to where jobs are, and uh, and the racial demographics in this country are changing rapidly, and uh, we're going to be a majority minority country, and he's going to kill us. It's not going to be forgotten. I don't know that I can forget it. I don't know that I'll ever feel comfortable being a Republican again after this. I'm not a Democrat, you know, and I can see problems in your party that are, you know. Tending to go off in a in a in a direction that would be <laughs> worrying to me, but uh, but I don't I don't know if I can ever feel comfortable again in a party that let this happen. That didn't, and I and I'm not saying you have to vote against tax cuts or vote against judges. I always I'm I'm a kind of offended when somebody a good and decent guy like Jeff Flake who stands up every day and rebukes this president. Well, why 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 did you vote for this? And I always put this. This, this, uh, this, I, I'll ask him, what if this guy, Avenetti, somehow manages to get elected president as a Democrat? Okay. After 2016, uh, stranger things have happened. has never been a truer cliche. Okay. So Avenetti does, and he's everything Trump is in, in, in bad ways, you know. But he manages to get single pair onto the floor of the, you know, in, in Congress. Do you vote against it? Because he's offensive or ruining the country? No, I don't think you do. And I don't think Flake should be held to that standard either. He's, what I would like to see from Republicans is to stand up and say no. I would like him to see protect the Mueller investigation, pass more sanctions over his objections, even if you have to overwrite his veto. Those sort of affirmative things I think Republicans ought to be doing. But I don't think they have to vote against conservative jurists or tax cuts if they, if they think they're right. So explain Lindsey Graham to me yeah. because um, a lot uh, people think of him yeah. or thought of him as a sort of uh, it was like Butch Cassidy in the Sundance game yeah. <laughs> yeah. a couple of mavericks willing to 
he has become, he has emerged as one of the president's uh, strongest defense. He's just trying to get himself reelected in South Carolina. Oh, What's I, going I, on? I mean, every every politician wants you know, if, if unless they've decided, <laughs> they've been persuaded it's time to retire, wants to get reelected. But I think you know, I, I'm. I haven't talked to Lindsay about it or anything. I, I'm very fond of him, as as John was obviously very fond, and 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 he was very close to him. And uh, I imagine he thinks he's he can stop ten percent or twenty percent of the crazy stuff, you know, um, that he can protect certain things that matter. I know he lobbies very hard with Trump on immigration, you know, on DAC and stuff. I know he rebuked Trump to his face on the shithole comment. He was the guy that was there, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and strongly remonstrated with him, and I think he thinks, well, I can, I can, I can make things a little bit better. You know, would be my guess. I'm just guessing at his motivation. You, uh, you, wor- you worked very hard with uh, Senator McCain in planning his, his the the aftermath of mm-hmm. his death, which I described as a, a kind of civic communion. Yeah. Uh, tell me how you talked about that and what you guys hope to accomplish by it. It um, it started right away. It's you know really shortly after his diagnosis. The first thing on his mind was to get back to Washington and give that regular order speech. I mean, he called me and he told me what the diagnosis was. So I, you know, he'd had the operation. And was How'd away. you feel, by the way, when you heard that? Well, I didn't even. I, I, I it, 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 it was weird because he, he almost mumbled it. I said, he said, "Hey, look, the call was." action oriented he called me up and said i want to i want to go back i'm going to fly back to washington the doctors are going to clear me they haven't agreed yet but they're going to agree they're going to let me fly back to washington and i want to give a speech i'm tired they're, they're ramming this skinny repeal thing or whatever it was at the time it's on the aca uh, yeah, on the affordable on the, care yeah, right and uh i want to i want to talk about how we, you know stuff like this we have to do together and let's let's talk about what, what should be in that speech i said have you gotten the, the results back yet yeah, yeah, not good. Like defined, not good. I, I, we we had worried it was melanoma again because he'd had it before, right. and but they've made a lot of advances, obviously, especially with immunotherapy on melanoma. It wasn't curtains, and uh, he said, "Just uh, I don't know, it's just something." And, he, and I think he said glioblastoma, but I either didn't know what it meant or I, I hadn't heard it, so I hung up. Just what what, what what's he talking about? Uh, he said, "But come on out here." I said, "Okay," and. Um, and then Rick called me. Said, hey, Rick Davis. Yeah. Um, he said, uh, Cindy just called me and relayed John's conversation with you. It's it's bad. It's really bad. And, you know, I immediately Googled it and, oh, it's Kennedy had. And, um, um, but, you know, he's like everything else. He, he's, he addresses it with activity. So I flew out there and he was joking around and, you know, um, he had to fight with the doctors. I mean, he got an airplane with a hole in his head and, uh, um, we sort of wrote the speech on the airplane together, and um, and then uh, not long after that, like he went back to Arizona after that, you know, because we recessed for August, I guess. So it would have been September. Later on in August, he came back, and I was sitting in his office, and uh, he then wanted to start planning what to do with his papers and his funeral. And uh, that was usually Rick, and that usually would be Cindy. Rick Davis, me, and Carla Udi. But if, at one point, it was just me, and he was talking about his funeral. And like, what did like I like? You know, he had this notion that one would I do a service for Arizona, and one for Washington. And by Washington, I, I, he, he meant the country, but he also meant the Senate and the, mm-hmm. and, and the Congress and where, right. and um, and and you know the federal government, the elected parts of the federal government, and. Uh, um, and one for me, which would have been Annapolis. And I remember he said something. I can't even. I wish I could, um, but because um, I would have put it in the book. Um, but um, he said something that I, 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 we were. All, he's always joking, so you're always kind of upbeat around him, no matter what. But it got something got to me, and I got a little not not we really weep or anything. I just I think I got my voice voice throat got thick and. Uh, he just put his hand up. He goes, "We're gonna man up, you and me." And he stayed that way. Yeah. And uh, and once he thought we had his funeral well in hand, 
you know, and like he gave me like, you know, I'll trust you with the music, but here are a couple of things I'd like, and I'll trust you with the scripture stuff. And, you know, uh, Carla was the unsung hero of it, although she did most of the work. But, uh, you know, I think we gave him, he wanted to, then, then it was that same meeting when he said, uh, I said, well, well, who are you thinking about speaking for you? And he said, well, I thought I'd ask Obama and Bush. <laughs> I said, okay, and I think I called you. You did, yeah. 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 And, uh, um, it was viewed as a rebuke of Trumpism. Yeah. Was it meant to be? No, it was, it was to emphasize over and over again that we live in the greatest country on earth, uh, that America is indispensably important to humanity and always should be, and that we have common problems and common problems responsibilities to solve them that's what it was meant to be these two guys defeated me for my, the, the mm -hmm. highest ambition i had you know professional ambition and yet we have more that unites us infinitely more that unites us and divides us and we were we tried to help make this country better you know in in the same but the president of the era. united states the current president wasn't invited no no because uh, uh his view of Politics. I don't know that that, that he has a, a a he doesn't have a governing philosophy. I don't think he has a political philosophy. I don't think he has any philosophy. I think he just has a selfish, greedy, acquisitive um, approach to all all all, all the, the entire world. Um, but he sort of represents the antithesis of that that philosophy that that John had, and um, you know, he's just not. Um, he he wanted it. You know he. He wanted known. I he and McCain. And, McCain. I guess that you, was a decision that he made. Yeah, I guess you could say it's a rebuke, but it was really meant to say, "I'm not for any of that stuff. I stand opposed to it. Mm -hmm. I stand opposed to Trumpism. You know mm -hmm. um, that it's wrong for this country. It's it's not the first time. Trumpism has been around before. No, nothingism, whatever you want to call it. Isolationism around in the 20s and 30s and. Protectionism has been around a lot, uh, you know, episodically throughout the history of the country. No, these things are new. You know, um, we've stood against them before. We'll stand against them this time, and that's that's what he was addressed on. You, as, um, as a personality, I think he looked at Trump with sort of idle curiosity, maybe, but not uh, not any uh, not any raw anger or anything. You uh, you pr you probably heard steve say he felt humiliated and yeah, we, saddened yeah. that he wasn't yeah. invited that weaver and uh yeah. cole wallace and mm -hmm. were not in why weren't they invited i don't yeah that i don't know that was not my my decision or or, or my pay grade i'm sorry that any and i've i'm always sorry to see friendships wrecked or ruined by politics or shared experiences i wish it were otherwise and and finally but it wasn't it wasn't Neither was it the people I think that they attribute the blame to either. It was just a decision made above all our pay grades. What about you, Mark? What, what, you're so identified with John McCain. I mean, it was, you know, you, you were his uh, sort of alter ego yeah. in many ways for decades. Yeah. So what, 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 do, you, what do you see for yourself now? <laughs> Well, I live about half the year in Maine, so I, I see myself living in Maine. Um, um, uh, we just bought a new house up there, so we can be there in the winter if, if we choose to be. Uh, I'm not sure we'll choose to be, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to write another book. I'm going to write a book about John, uh, too. Uh, it's something I've done every other year for a long time, and I'll, 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 I just signed a contract with Simon & Schuster to do one. Uh, I'll do that. Now I've got a lot of clients I do communications work for and writing for, and... Uh, do you uh, keep making a living? How you deal with it? But it must be a hole in your yeah. life. Oh, you sure? But you know, it's weird. We we're I've been busy since he passed away, and we were very busy during that whole sort of week, ten days. Uh, where we had his services. Um, I was telling a friend the other day. I said, you know, it really and it, it hits me at discreet moments. You know, uh, but I I haven't really acknowledged internally. You know. Uh, he's not here so there's still this sort of sense like he's his presence is still like real to me um i you know there have been a couple of things like i wish it, when the whole the whole caravan thing i was 
I must have thought a hundred times, I wish he was here. I wish we write the hell out of this, you know, and, uh, um, but, um, you know, he's not. And, um, you know, if you were, you know, we're, I'm involved in the McCain Institute. We just launched a new initiative, which I, on human uh, rights, yeah, on human rights. And, uh, uh that's, uh, uh, you know, do, just do the kind of work he would have done, you know, and, uh, try to, you know, add, uh, a lot of voices to make one collective voice that stands up for the things he believed in. You know, you kind of keep his, his, uh, his presence alive. That way. Well, your words will keep his presence alive. Thanks. And uh, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I remember telling you then I knew that you were as passionate about John McCain as I was about Barack Obama, and yeah. I really respected that. Yeah, you told me that. And, um, I, uh, and I respect it now. Yeah, so that, same. Good Feel, to be feel, with you. Feelings mutual. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, part of the CNN Podcast Network. For more episodes of The Axe Files, visit axefilespodcast.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. For more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.